the question I have for you this morning is, what is one thing that annoys you about others? What is that one thing that annoys you about others? This brings us to our second one another. And please turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll read Colossians. You'll keep your finger there. Colossians chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verse 13. And thus, verse 13 reads, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that so you also must forgive. That is God's word. And as we did with the Romans last night, I, true, I do believe it will be doing injustice to this very verse if we don't actually get the context surrounding the verse. And what I want to do here, just to also to inform you, we have different approach, approaches when we, it comes to preaching. Now, I'm talking as an African. We don't quickly run to the point, we beat around the bush before you really get to the, to the point of what you really want to say. And so just walk with me as we look at this. Our verse here is verse 13, which talks about bearing with one another. And so what we want to do, we want to see the context surrounding this verse. So it will take us some time before we get to really to this very verse uh, that is before us. And so here again, to get to understand this very verse, you have to go to the previous verse, verse, uh, verse 12, which tells us, it's a command there, put on then as God's children, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so the verse continues now with that, carrying on with that command, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, another, forgiving each other. The means, this means we will need to look, uh, look around the context of this very passage, not just concentrating only on one verse here because we might end up missing the point that Paul is bringing out here. Uh, this morning we were also just shown to understand the context as you are preaching to see, okay, what is the, the writer saying? What is God saying through this particular passage of scripture? So to do so, I want to, begin to believe, again, it is not just good for us to concentrate on these two verses. It will mean we'll have to go actually to verse 1 to help us understand what Paul is actually addressing here. The book of Colossians, of course, is divided in two parts. The first section we see Paul is actually addressing the indicatives, the, the doctrine, to let the believers know this is who you are, and it is actually written by Paul while in prison uh, to warn believers and to encourage them um, as they walk with the Lord because there were false teachers who are disturbing the church. And therefore, Paul is writing while in prison to encourage them to remain steadfast and to know Christ is supreme. And so the man that brought the report to Paul while in prison was Epaphras, who is considered to be actually the founder of this church. And so Paul has given them the doctrine and just helping the church understand and how to be careful about false teachers, and especially in explaining who Christ is in chapter, chapter 1 from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus Christ himself is God. So he has done that job. He has shown them who they are. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, If then 
you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Having said this, Paul is actually wanting the believers here to understand their position in Jesus Christ and thus focus the attention where this Christ is. And so the verse begins, seek the things above. Okay, and then as he says, seek the things above in verse 1, this is a general ex uh, exhortation expounding into a pair of related commands as we'll be seeing in this very uh, section. Those pair of commands we see, first of all, beginning in verse 2, set your minds on the things above. Okay, so that is the first command. You will set your minds on the things above, that is in heaven. And then, not on the, in the neg negative, not on the things on the earth. That's what we see in that very verse. And then, we go to verse 5. We're just setting the, the background here for us to understand why Paul said what he said in verse 13. From verse 5 to 11, we're seeing... Paul is actually listing two vices that illustrate things that are on the, on the earth. Because many times when we are talking about set your mind on the things above and not on the things on, on the earth, people get confused and wonder, okay, what are those things? So I think it will be important for us, first of all, to see those things that are earthly that Paul is saying that we should not fix our minds on. And that's what we see from verse 5. In this, he provides us with a command, put to death. What are you putting to death? You are putting to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. And important for us also just to note this, the old nature is not being renewed or reformed. That's what we need to understand. You don't renew or you don't renew or reform old nature. Instead, old nature is to be put to death. That's what Paul is saying. Because that belongs to the earth, to the things of the earth. And then we go to verse. Verse 10, he's telling us something here, according to verse 10, what gets renewed. What gets renewed. In verse 10 he says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here, it is the new person, not the earthly nature that is supposed to be renewed. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have gotten a new nature. And so that new nature in us is being renewed, should be renewed, should be transformed. Even as we saw yesterday, Romans chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So the process, as described, is not a matter of gradual, gradually changing the old into something better but progressively actualizing an already existing new creation. So the new creation given to us now, new creatures as believers, this is being progressively renewed in us as we become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are therefore commanded to kill what is earthly, which is, according to verse 5, sexual immorality. And the list goes on there. A Christian 
and sexuality is something that we need to, to look at as believers and get some counsel and advice on. When God created man, two matters became inherently sacred. One was the sanctity of human life. And that's why we emphasize pro-life, sanctity of life. God sees life is as sacred. It is something to value because he values it. The second was the sanctity of intimacy, intimate sexuality. Now today, we have attacks against both. We have a society rambled with violence on television and on our streets. We also are obsessed with the erotism that it destroys the sacredness of marriage. And so here, Paul reminds these believers at Colossae to put to death that which is sexual immorality, and the list goes on. And I just want to add to this by saying, God intended sexual union to promote caring, giving, and intimacy in every age we live in today people or human beings like us have actually perverted that which god intended for the good and it's why as we'll be seeing paul bring a caution here because this affects relationship together with the believers the new testament understands that our sexual expression it's not just something we do. It reflects actually who we are. Christians are those who should always put the rights and the needs of others first and not taking advantage of the other. Last focuses only on the senses, but love uses, the, uses senses to cherish the other and to nourish the soul of the other that is what love does genuine love that we looked at yesterday the use of sexual relationship for pleasure or excitement without any real sense of responsibility degrades personal life and personal relationships and that's why in cases where people are just out to find excitement they are so selfish to serve themselves, and at the end of the day, you find the people who have been abandoned, children who have been abandoned, relationships that have been affected because of the misuse of this gift that God gave to man. It is why sexual immorality must be put to death, as Paul says in this, in verse 5, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He knows what that brings to our relationship with one another. Now, Paul does not just stop there. We see that is a command in verse 5, in verse five put to death. He does not stop there, but he brings us again to verse 8. You see another command that comes from there. But now you must put them all away. So that is continuous. Now remember, he is addressing believers. Because we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. He will not be telling non-believers, put away these things because there is no way. If Christ is not in you, you will just be Christianizing yourself by trying to do away with these things. It is only Christ in us who will enable us. And Paul can give out this command because he knows he is addressing believers in Christ who are being renewed and therefore taking responsibility to continue killing sin in your life. You are 
not only to put to death, but to put away what is earthly. Again, this is again just helping us understand when Paul addresses in verse 2, put, uh, sorry, in verse 2, chapter, uh, chapter 3, um, uh, verse 1, uh, put to death what is uh, earthly, concentrate on what is heavenly, he's actually helping us see what is earthly in this case. And so here, Paul points out what needs to be put away. So in verse 5, we not put to death, and in verse 8, put away. What is that that we need to put away? These are practices that actually disrupt the life of the body of Christ. Those are practices that actually affect our relationship together as the church of Christ. And let us look at some of those examples as he brings in verse 8. He tells us, put them all away. You know, you're putting them away. Okay, what is it that you're putting away? He lists in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That's what we are commanded to put away. And I will not really get to define every vice that is listed in these verses. As you've noted, I've just emphasized one vice in verse 5, which is sexual morality. And in this section, I would just also emphasize one vice, vice here, which is anger. And as I was studying through this, I thought also to um, research further to get to understand what is anger. And I, I thought John Roberts gives a good working definition of anger. And this is what he says about anger. He says anger is our whole person, active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. I'll repeat that again. Anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. This is to say anger is something we do, not something we have. It is not your personality. Because some people will come and say, me, I'm an angry, angry man, or I'm an angry woman. So they're actually describing themselves as, okay, I was born this way, I'm wired this way, this is who I am, this is my personality, and there's nothing I can do about it. Then, it will defeat the purpose when the Lord through Paul is telling the believers here, put away anger. Here are a key Biblical names for anger when you're studying the Bible. Anger will be referred to impatient. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, which is actually mental, verbal, or non-verbal revenge, repayment, or retaliation. That's what it is. That's what anger is. It is repaying evil of inconvenience with mental complaining, sharp word, rolling the eyes or glaring of disgust. And we find ourselves with this. And then also the Bible describes anger as bitterness. We see that in Hebrews 12, 15. It broods over the memory of the past offenses, even as the song told us here, we're looking back, recalling the past, and never wanting to erase the past. And then it goes on to tell us it is real or Im unimagined. It's the past offenses that is real or, or imagined. Rather than overlooking a transgression, it nurses hearts, constantly repaying them in the mind. 
you are actually murdering this particular person when you are looking the, at, in the past over what he or she did and therefore continuously nursing that. And it comes with the distractions. Destructive results of anger are this. I'll just give you some example. One, anger brings in conflict among people. The Bible says a hot-tempered man starts up strife. That's what we find in the book of Proverbs 15, verse 18. Proverbs 4, 14, 17 says, Foolish behavior. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And sometimes the things anger can lead us into doing, we live to regret because you acted foolishly. And you don't, even when you look back, you get so embarrassed over the act done. Proverbs 18 verse 19, it is also warning us that anger breaks relationships. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. That's what Proverbs 18 reminds us of this. So the church, the Living Hope Church, is supposed to be a different place from a world where people are at, are at war with one another. A church should be a place where we embrace, we reach out to one another and are not to engage in angry acts war that destroys one another. It is to be a place where destructive effects of anger fades as we get renewed in our progressive sanctification. Therefore, we must learn to diffuse our anger before it blows up in our face and it destroys our fellowship. Anger becomes dangerous when it is fed when it's justified, when it's encouraged, and when it's nurtured. It becomes dangerous. Perils that unchecked anger causes in our lives is this. In just looking at the list there that he mentions in verse 8 are there. The first one is just to realize that knowing anger can restrain long Lifelong relationships. That's what it can do. It can restrain lifelong relationships, and that's where we want to guard. He talks about wrath there. He says, wrath can explode, throw off all constraints, and utter ill-considered sentiments that cannot be taken back. When we have said something that have really destroyed the other person, it's normally not very easy to bring it back. Malice. In that very verse, it's also mentioned in verse 8, malice, that's what we are to put away, leads one to do and say things that harm one's neighbor. That's what malice does. Wickedness is also mentioned in that verse. We are to put away wickedness. Why? Because wickedness hurls abuse at someone without caring how that person or how much distress it causes on the other person. And then he talks of slander. We put away slander or gossip. Why? Because slander or gossip spreads like wildfire beyond people's backs. As we know, we've had fires here in Cape Town and other places, places where fire can run very fast and it does a lot of damage. And so if we are not very careful with our words, with our attitude, it can easily come out and really destroy the church of Christ, believers. And that's why Paul says, as believers who are in Christ, set your minds above, you know, in heaven. You have been raised up in you with Jesus Christ. Now do this. Destroy that which is earthly and focus your mind to that which is heavenly. It's why the Bible commands us to put away all this. And then in verse 12, 
we see the command also coming out of this another section, which is actually in this particular section, Paul is now addressing these believers by ex expounding on the command to put your mind, set your mind on the things above. And we'll be seeing how those things that are heavenly look like. Let us really read verse 12 and 13. Put them, put on then as God's chosen ones. Okay? We've noted in verse 5, put to death. In verse 8, put away. Now, in this particular section, Paul says, put on. Normally, when you buy clothes for your child and say, okay, throw away rugs and I'm going to be buying you a new uh, pants or, or trousers. And then you promise, you tell this boy, throw away this. And then he comes home, dad comes home, he's not really bought the new trouser. What is going to happen with the old one? He's going to run back and take it back because he's feeling cold. There's nothing to replace with. And I think that's where many Christians go wrong. We know what to put off. But many times we do not actually realize we need to replace it with something else. And so Paul is actually helping these believers and telling them, I'm not saying strip yourself naked and then just walk in the cold. There is something to replace with that. Fill your mind with what is right, with what is heavenly. And that's why verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we putting on here? We are putting on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How does it, how do we actually really put those virtues in practice? He tells us in verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. We'll get into that to see how that plays out. So the relationship between verses 5 to 11 and verses 12 to 17 is best illustrated by the parallel between the call to put off in verse 8 and corresponding with the call to put on in verse 12. That's what you just see simply in the Bible there. But there's something that we want to say, I want to bring to our attention before we expound a bit on that. The affirmation of the exist, exalted status of Christ we see in verse 1 is actually expounded in verse 15 to 17, where he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. We see another one anothering there. In all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Verse 17, telling the believers how to live and whatever you do in word or deed, no, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is about Christ, Christ, Christ lifted here, whatever we do. So again, the reference to being called to one body in verse 15 points back to the new man that believers are to put on. That is the one. Where there is neither Greek nor a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. That's what we see in verse 11. Let's just read there. Here, there is not, not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. That's what he's bringing out here. The new person, we are new in Christ. 
They are called to teach and admonish one another with songs of worship, as we can see in verse 16, as already read, also finds its counterpart in the previous call to put away the vices. As we saw, the vices that originate from your mouth, that is in verse 8, put them away, those vices. And then in verse 16, he is telling us what we should be doing instead. What are we supposed to be doing in, in verse 16? Admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and spiritual songs and hymns with thanksgiving. And then the call to do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 17 provides a fitting conclusion of the both vices and the virtues listed. Paul is calling believers to live a Christocentric life characterized by the worship of the one creator God. So that whatever we are doing is Christ-centered. And thus, it brings us to our section that I want now to just point out as we, we see how then do we bear with one another. Bearing with one another. So after the call to put away the practices that disrupt the life of the body of Christ in verse 8, that is anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, Paul now urges believers to put on a new set of behavior consistent or with their identity. What is our identity as Christians? Paul puts it clear. Our identity is in verse 12. You are chosen people. Chosen, we know we have the chosen nation of Israel that God has chosen. But for us, even as believers, we are the chosen ones. And then he describes us, holy ones, beloved. Those, that, that's our identity. You are the chosen of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the holy one of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. Put on therefore as God's chosen, holy and beloved. So here the image of being chosen reminds us believers of the gift of the unmerited favor that God has given to us. You did not deserve it. He chose you just as you are. Not because you did anything special. Not because you were brought up in a better home or family, environment or background. Nothing. But out of his mercy, he chose you. God chose believers out of the mainstream of mankind and draws them to himself. And that's why we say we are elected. And we are not just elected to be spoiled with gifts, good gifts, but we are elected for the service. We are elected to benefit one another, not for your own personal benefits, but to display the glory of God in your life and in my life. That's what you are chosen for. We do well to question our union with Christ where there is no any evidence of growth in the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, and the virtues that are listed here. If you are not growing in these virtues listed here, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, you need to be asking yourself, if you are a Christian, what is wrong with me? When we fail to act, to act different from the world, we violate the very purpose of our calling because we are called for a purpose. We are holy people set apart for God. These virtues characterized Jesus' life and they are vital for harmonious life with our fellow human beings as we live together. That's why you are commanded to put them 
on. And these are the virtues again to repeat, just to help us remember this is what you see in Christ. This is what is heavenly. When you're talking about, think about those things that are heavenly. Compassion, which comes with the bowels of mercy, which is an inward pity, tenderness toward the needs, misery, and infirmity, infirmities of others. And that is the compassion Christ wants to display through your life as a Christian because you are a renewed somebody. Kindness, your sympathy toward others should not only be inward but outward also, expressing it in words, conduct, and the deeds of kindness. Not destroying others with your words or with your lifestyle. Because that breaks relationship. You'll not be kind when you are doing that. Humility. Christ was humble. We saw that last night. Humbleness of mind. This raises from a genuine sense of our own sins where we realize that we are still living in this fallen body. Infirmities and shortcomings that we have. And thus we run to God every day for mercy to help us become like Christ as we fight sin, as we come alongside one another. Meekness is the opposite of pride and arrogance. It destroys envy, jealous, and the quarrels that easily come when people live together in a community. And patience is a meek and a quiet spirit which leads to patience and long-suffering. That is the word, long-suffering. We don't feel it is it's necessary to avenge for ourselves or even to defend ourselves. That is what patience comes with. For these virtues, as you will notice, are community-oriented. As they seek to build up relationships among members of God's people. And that's why Paul is bringing them here. And that's why it takes us to the issue of one another ring. This focus on community is consistent with the preceding call to put on the new man, where this new man is likewise defined, not in terms of social or cultural markers, but by Christ and him alone who lives among us. Now, after listing these virtues, the apostle is now showing us that this is who we are, people who are characterized by the new man. He provides us with the means through which such virtues can be practiced. So the question, how do we practice these virtues in our lives? Because here, even as Paul knows, as long as we are in the flesh, we will have misunderstandings. Though we are a new people in Christ, we'll have mis misunderstandings among us. We'll have unpleasant moments in this very life since we live under the sun. There will be also moments of injustices that will happen to us. We will feel that our rights have been violated and others have actually been wronged by what they have said and done. All those things will happen to us while on this earth. So what is to be our attitude? What should be our attitude when this is happening? And so that's why verse 13 comes in very handy. Paul is showing us now, since we have these virtues, we have this new nature, we are to be putting on these virtues. We should not forget there will still be misunderstanding and pleasant moments and so on because life under the earth will be affected. And therefore our relationship can easily be affected. So he calls upon believers to put on this kind of attitude. And it's twofold. He says, bearing. Bearing, verse 13. Bearing. Remember, the foundation we have laid here, we are assuming that we are believers, new people who are putting on off to death the old and are putting away those um, uh, vices as we saw. And now 
we have put on new virtues and we are still growing in those virtues. But even with that, things will happen when you are together as a church. And so that's why he's calling on us and say, bearing with one another. That is uh, our teaching this morning. Bearing with one another. What does it mean to bear? We'll see that. We see that definition just in explaining here so that you see the connection, uh, the transition here. The means through which virtues listed in verse 12 can be practiced are explicitly identified in the acts of bearing and forgiving one another. That's what we see in verse, in verse uh, 13. And so these are actually particip participants that are actually modifying the command put on. So they are just modifying that. The command to put on in verse 12. They demonstrate how virtues listed in verse 12 can be used in constructing a community of love. That's what we see. What does it mean then to bear? When it's spoken of things, the word bear means to endure. Some other translations have actually used that word directly, endure, enduring. It means to hold out in spite of persecution, to hold out in spite of, in spite of threats, injury, indifference, or complaints, or retaliation. That's what the word will also mean, endurance. And that very word actually was characterized in the life of Paul when he, when he says, I quoted this verse yesterday, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Okay? So there is that state of, of, um, of, of uh, challenge that will come to us to know okay, that those moments, things will happen to us as believers. Trials will come to us. People do things to us. So what are we to do? In this case, Paul is calling upon believers to say, endure. Even Christ himself endured. Paul himself endured. Believers who have walked before us, they endured. Christ endured the cross, sufferings, and so on. So believers expect trials will come to you and learn to endure. So that is one way of defining the word endure or bear. The other way, it is spoken of persons. Okay? In this particular context, I want to assume this is what Paul is bringing out. Paul is not necessarily telling believers here, just endure trials out there, but it's more enduring one another, bearing with one another. Okay? It is to endure or to put up with. That's what it is in this very context. So to bear is to control our emotions. Surrendering our rights for the time being in patient hope that God will reveal his purpose and will at last. So we will be with the people among us that probably will irritate us and we are called upon to put up with them. Believers are to be marked by endurance. Verse 12 is a reference to how we are to endure and put up with one another when there is not an obvious sin. Please get that. When there is no obvious sin. Because that is telling you something. If there is sin that needs to be confronted, we need to confront sin in our lives. But those issues that are non-sin... The Bible calls us to endure, to put up with one another. This means putting up with another's imperfections. Putting up with another's imperfections. There is none perfect among us apart from Christ. Christ is the only perfect example, human being who lived on this earth. Of course, Adam and Eve, when they came into the world, they were perfect human beings until 
sin came in. So this means in your family and in the church, there will be things that there will be things that imperfect people will do, or you will actually come across imperfect people and you rub shoulders together and they might do you some wrong. And so that is just the reality of this life. We have those who are slow in learning while others are fast, even among us. We are others who can play music while others not. We are others who can sing well while others not. We are others who are quick in learning while others not. We have others who are spiritually immature. They have been believers for many years, but they are not growing. They are, not, they are in their diapers for a very long time. And that's why Paul says, come along, endure one another. Bear with one another. Not only that, it means putting up with the strange values of another. Again, when we lived here, as we seated here, we don't have all same values in life. We have different values. We have things that we like, likes and dislikings. We have different ways of looking at things. We are from different upbringing and different cultures as we saw it last night. Different levels of education. We look at things differently. And that is there. Know this reality. And know who you are. All is about Christ. It's Christ that you want to honor. Whatever we do, we want to honor Christ. And not only that, putting up with another's habits. And I know this is the area of contention when it comes to the issue of habits. We are all born with habit capacity, which means we have, we learn habits and we have also inherited habits. Now, since habits can be learned, it means we can do away with the bad habits and put on the right habits as Paul has just been showing us. The habits of wrong that we are putting off and then putting on what is so we are learning through the help of the Holy Spirit becoming more like Christ. Now some will have irritating habits. For example, my wife tells me, I turn into a cow in the night. What does that mean? She's not just insulting me, but means I chew card in the night. And so she's like, oh, this one, what is happening? And that can be very irritating. Now, I know some of you are just going, oh, but you know some of you turn into tractors in the night. And how do you bear with one another in such moments? Okay, some of us have just some irritative type of behavior that is there. How do we reach out to one another? So you can imagine what one has to bear if she has to hear me chewing cud every night and you know she's just next to me. She has to endure a lot. She has to go through this. Now, how does she treat me? How she treats me actually also matters. So in all those life together, habits that are there, that are annoying to others. That's where Paul says, bear with one another. And we need to note this. The person being annoying may not in fact be at the root of this annoyance. Sometimes the root of the problems may be actually the one who gets annoyed. You could be the problem. Because you are not willing to bear with one another. You want to raise people to your standard and you say, if you don't meet my standard, out of my way. So you say, I don't want to bear. That is not love. The person with the feeling of annoyance is basically saying that he himself is less annoying than the other person. That is an arrogant thought. So in your family, and in the church, 
there will be things that people will do that can rub you the wrong way. But God's word says we are to bear with others, even the ones we find unlikable. I tell you, it's tough. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need Christ. Virtues found in verse 12 will, will aid us in bearing with one another, even in such difficult moments where people have fun habits or, you know, that there are irritative habits. And that's why we need to come alongside, reach out to one another. How can I help my fellow believer grow in this particular area instead of lashing at him in anger? So the virtues in verse 12 will aid you to do that. So by bearing with and bearing up the brother or sister who is with unlikable habits will demonstrate this love and our obedience to the law of Christ. And even as he tells us in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, bear with one another. As I come to a close here, I want to throw again some questions to us as a way of application. Under what circumstances or situations do you find it most difficult to bear with one another? Under what circumstance? List two of them and suggest how this lesson might help you to act more consistently with one another as a Christian. So I just want you to think through, what is it? What circumstances or situations do you find yourself getting irritated with the others? And what are some of the things will you want to do during this weekend to say that I want to grow in that area? How are you making it difficult for people to deal with you? Now, if you are a type who is always there irritating, okay? How are you making it difficult for people to deal with you? Are you causing unnecessary patient forbearance in another believer's life? Perhaps ask someone who knows you well. A person you will speak, who will speak the truth to you in love. And expect this input and find out, okay, what do you, what do you see in me that is more irritating, that I need to be working on so that we learn to bear with one another? List at least two things about yourself that you can change also. So in this case, when you are working on this, come back to these two verses, Colossians chapter 3, Verse 12 to 13, I read again as I finish here. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And to put that into practice, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, if that is happening, someone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has done what? Forgiving. So that is how you're going to stretch in this and to ask forgiveness and actually forgive others who come to you. And that is how we learn to bear with one another as believers in Christ. The Lord bless you.